Well, we're officially into the Christmas season by a week now. I know some of you think we've been there since the beginning of October, but uh, yeah, we're there, you know, officially now for a week. How many of you have gotten through at least two Christmas movies so far? That's good. That's good. How many of you have been quoting Christmas Vacation since August? You know, that's, that's required all year round, right? That's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year round, right? Hey, uh, it, it's fun to, to get into it. We uh, uh, yesterday watched uh, the Polar Express while we made breakfast, so we're, we're officially into the swing of Christmas as well, too. We've already had one round of, of uh, Christmas school activities. We've got uh, some more coming up tomorrow night. And, uh, you know, like a lot of times as a parent, you find out about these uh, Christmas activities at school like the day before, you know, especially that you're supposed to bring something as well, too. Bring a homemade baked good, you know, in three hours. You, you learn about that. But uh, we're right in the middle of it, and uh, we're uh, in week two of the series called A Low-Key Christmas, where we're kind of looking at how we can, in the midst of all the busyness and, <clears throat> excuse me, all the, the craziness, take a little bit of a step back as well, too. Uh, as, as we get ready to jump in this morning, though, I kind of want to ask you a question. What, uh, what words do you typically use to describe Christmas? Like, what word pops in your mind <clears throat> when we talk about the Christmas season as a whole? Maybe, maybe it's, we'll just start off with the, the word happy. Does Christmas make you feel happy? Maybe you enjoy singing along with you know, with Andy Williams on, on it's the most wonderful time of the year, and, and so happy, you're, you're so happy it's Christmas. Maybe for you, it's, uh, it's the word joy. You're upstairs at 8 o'clock, we sing joy to the world, um, and, and that's, that's where you're at. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, and, and it's all about joy for you. It's all about this mindset of, of, of just happiness and joy, and everything is great. Maybe it's the word giving, because you just love to give this time of the year. A lot of people love to get, but you really love to give. You love the looks on people's faces when you hand them a present or you have them come over to your house and you give them baked goods or, or just your time. It's all about giving or maybe it's the word festive that kind of wraps all of these words up together. It's a festive time of, of the season. Maybe it's a little different perspective, though. Maybe for you, Christmas is a bit of a struggle. And so you think of words like busy. Again, if you're a parent, it's a busy time of the season. Even if you're not a parent, sometimes it's a busy time of the year because you've got all the, the programs, all the parades, all the stuff going on. You've also got travel coming up. If you're like us, we're going to travel quite a bit the week of Christmas, just kind of the nature of not living in the town where we grew up in. And because it's busy, maybe it's an, another word that you describe Christmas, it's stressful. You love it, but man, it's just stressful. Like if you use any of those words to describe the Christmas season, you're, you're not alone. But I'm curious how many of you use this word to describe Christmas. You would just say Christmas is a time for me of peace. Like That's the word for you that you either do land on or you wish you could land on at Christmas. We've got so many reasons why we struggle to find peace, especially this time of the year. Uh, it can be financial. We talked about that last week with, with the idea that we we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, and, and we feel like we've got to give presents to everybody. We want to give presents to everybody, and our bank account doesn't really allow that, but we try to do it anyway, and we push and push and push. And, or maybe, you know, it's a loss of a job or just the economy or whatever it may be, but there's just this financial stress that's weighing on you and it's, it's robbing you of your peace. Maybe it's the busyness. Busyness leads to exhaustion. 
I can tell you for us, that's where we sometimes land. It's just the busyness of life with three small kids and, and the busyness of life with, with jobs and with different schools that our kids are a part of and leads to exhaustion that can rob you of your joy and your peace. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you're facing some uncertain questions this year. You, you don't have answers, or maybe you do have answers and you don't like the, the answers that you've been given. And it's causing you to, to not have the peace that you wish you could have. Or maybe it's the health of a loved one. Maybe it's not your health, but it's the health of somebody close to you. It's robbing of your peace. Maybe it's loss. I know so many of you have experienced loss over the last year. You've lost the person that you've spent your life with. And maybe this is the first holiday season you're facing without that person in your life. And there's that void. There's that emptiness that is there. Maybe it's family issues. Maybe you're dreading going to Christmas Eve or Christmas morning because you know that one person's going to be there and you don't really want to face him or her. When I was a kid, we had, uh, I had an aunt that, uh, just to be honest, we kind of all wished she just wouldn't show up because we knew when she was, her plus one other person was going to erupt into a screaming match and somebody would leave mad and, and some of the children would hear words they probably shouldn't be hearing. Maybe you've got that person in your family. Maybe you are that person in your family. <laughs> if so, there's programs to help you out, Okay. But we have that, and it's just strife. And we can laugh about it, yes, but we know, too, when it's a family issue, sometimes it's worse than any other kind of relationship issue. Let me ask you a question as we get ready to dive in this morning. As we stare down the face of the holiday season, into the month of December now, does your stress outweigh your peace this, this time, this month, this Christmas season? Does your stress outweigh your peace? See, I think Christmas especially... It's kind of like a, like a magnifying glass on your life. We talk about it being the most wonderful time of the year. Well, it is if your life is going well. If things are good, if your finances are good, your health's good, your family life is good. If you're happy, Christmas is probably the most wonderful time of the year because all those feelings just get magnified. But if, if you're struggling in any of those areas we mentioned, it can be that much more difficult. It can weigh a little heavier on you, especially if there's loss or hurt or financial issue or brokenness in your family. And I think the problem is this time of the year, because of everything that goes along with it and all the expectation in our mind that we say Christmas is going to be wonderful, it's going to be amazing, I think the pressure of that, sometimes we push peace to the side because, I don't know, I don't know that I've got an answer why we do that, but we do. See, I think we forget the simple fact Christmas is all about the time that God came to dwell among us. John chapter 1, it says, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And we forget that it boils down to Christmas is when he sent his son to save us, to bring us peace. Think back to the very first Christmas. Think back to uh, what, what we read in Luke chapter 2, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, remember what they said as they praised God? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. This wasn't just a Christmas Eve night or a Christmas morning declaration. This is who Jesus came to be centuries earlier. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah uh, talked about about the Savior coming, and he said this, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Anybody remember the next part? Prince of Peace. He was proclaimed to bring peace. 
That's what we get when we get Jesus. But I think sometimes peace is this thing that kind of eludes us. It's this thing that we, we want to have, but we sometimes struggle to attain or struggle to hold on to. And I think part of that is we, we forget what peace is. We, we misidentify it, misdefine it a little bit here. And when we do that, I think it makes it harder to grab a hold of. We think about peace as what? About the removal of conflict. When you see two sides at war, they eventually will lay down their arms and they declare a peace. But let's be honest, that's not really peace. That's more of a truce. One side is probably still pretty angry at the other side. No, peace isn't just the removal of conflict. It's restoration. It's bringing everything back to, to the whole. And we're going to come back to that thought here in a few moments because what I want to do to help us get there is look specifically at three different kinds of peace that we need to have in our lives. And let me just tell you, these are a progression. You can't have the second and the third without the first. You can't have the third without the first two. At least I firmly believe this. So I want to look at what peace means and specifically the types of peace that we need to have in our lives. The first kind of peace that we have to have is peace with God. That's a spiritual peace. Think about this for just a minute here. In the beginning was Adam and Eve. The, the, the garden was created. Adam and Eve were there. There was perfect harmony. They had everything they wanted. God even came and walked along the garden with them. And, and there was, that was completion. That's what creation was supposed to look like. But Adam and Eve weren't satisfied with that. They sinned and they created a void in their lives that we still have in our lives today. And that void is something we try to fill spiritually with something. We need spiritual peace because that's at the core of who we are, and we try to fill it with whatever we can get a hold of or with a specific person to come into our lives. We try to fill it with, with anything that has been created. The problem is you can't fill the void with something that's been created. You have to fill it with the creator. Say it like this, true peace isn't found in something or someone. It's only found in Jesus. It's only found in a relationship with him. And again, too often we try to do that on our own. We try to fill that void, and when we do, we see an absence of peace. And what does an absence of peace lead to? It leads to things like instability in your life. You, you can't face each day with the same consistency as the previous one. It can lead to things like anxiety. Anxiety is this, this, this never-ending ocean of what if. This imagining of all the things that could possibly go wrong. And if you take your eyes off Jesus, it's easy to see all of the things in the world and allow that to consume you. Maybe we fill the void with, with strife. You've got a conflict with somebody else because of something somebody said or did to you, or maybe you said or did to somebody else. That's caused a conflict, that's caused a rift, and that's still there. There's no peace. Or maybe, maybe the peace that you're missing, you're trying to fill with addiction. You need something to help you feel, something to help you find purpose, something just to occupy your mind or your time. And the problem that we often see here is when one of those things becomes an issue, that void in our lives, we try to fill it ourselves by chasing after something. We try to fill it by chasing after other people. We talked about this a bit last week, the kind of the keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. I see what somebody else has done. I kind of want to keep up with that. I want to have a Christmas get-together at my house, but my house isn't nearly as nice or big as this other person's house might be. So, you know, I just can't do that. And there's, we're missing something, right? 
I need that new truck. I need that new purse. I need those new shoes. We need, we need, we need because somebody else already has it. Or maybe we fill the void by chasing accomplishments. If I could get another degree on my wall or a promotion at work or get this, if my kids could succeed at something, people are going to look at me like I mean a little bit more. Like I'm a little bit, you know, better than I was yesterday. Or maybe we fill the void by chasing places and experiences. Maybe it's not the material gain, but it's what we see and do. If I could just take this trip, if I could just be with these people, if I could just do this thing. And the thing is we have to remember, all of this stuff will fulfill you for a while. Like all of it will fulfill you for a time. There's been a lot of times in my life I've been very, very happy. Guess what? At some point in the future, I also got unhappy. Some point to follow that, something happened, and whatever made me happy, it it just doesn't last. Whether it's a person, a place, or a thing, we just can't. The problem is we try to make our own peace with whatever we find in our world. We forget that God is already filling that void in our lives, and we try to replace him instead. Romans 15, Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Romans, he talks a lot about how peace leads to hope. He ties those two together quite a bit. And the hope that we have is the promise of eternity that only comes through a restoration and a relationship with God. Too often we're blinded by the stuff in our world that's temporary, the stuff that's here today and gone tomorrow. And we try to find peace with that. And we forget the truth of the matter that peace is ultimately the result of reconciliation with God. Peace doesn't come from anything else. It comes from reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 5, Paul says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say what that peace leads to. It leads to perseverance. It leads to endurance. It leads to hope. And I think sometimes we forget that because we're so blinded by the messiness or the chaos of life. And let me just say something, too. I don't want to downplay anything that's going on in your life. We deal with very real issues. We deal with very heavy issues in life. I don't want to downplay those. I don't want to say, just pretend they don't exist. Or or just ignore the fact that they're there. Or just, you know, just get over it. I'm not going to say that. They're real. God gave us emotions for a reason. and, And those Issues in our life play into our emotions. He gave us thoughts for a reason, and those issues in our life play into our thoughts. The problem is, too often, we allow, whether it's just because we do, we take our eyes off God, or because our enemy is very crafty, we allow the enemy and sin to clutter up what we can see. And all we can see are those issues. All we can see is the messiness. All we can see is the brokenness, whether that is in our own lives or the lives of people around us. And when we do that, We forget that God came to save us. Can I ask you a question? If you're taking notes, you can write an answer down on this. When you pray, do you know for certain that you're forgiven? When you pray, when you're dealing with heaviness and you pray to God, does it ever occur to you in your mind for 100% facts beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm forgiven? If not, what's going through your head when you pray? I'll just be honest, sometimes that thought doesn't cross my mind. It's not that I doubt my, my, my forgiveness from God, but it doesn't always come to the front of my mind. But when it does, it puts everything else in a little bit better perspective. That I'm created for eternity, not for this temporary world. Sometimes when we pray, we forget 
that God gave us peace. You think about peace here for just a second here. Peace is actually not just something that sounds nice. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit, talking about what we get from the Spirit, is joy, love, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. So before you go any further on your relationships, do you have peace with God? If you've accepted him as your Savior, you do. Maybe you're forgetting about it. Maybe you're not looking at it. Maybe you're letting everything else blind you. But it's there. Hold on to it. The second kind of peace that we have to have is peace with ourselves or peace with yourself. This is an internal peace. And I I think this one might be the one, if we're being very honest, some of us struggle with the most. Peace with yourself comes from the fact that you have peace with God. Colossians 3, it says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Catch that. The peace that comes from Christ. Let it rule. Doesn't just say let it abide. Doesn't just say let it be there. No, let it rule in your hearts. I think we've all seen somebody who their life, something is really, really wrong in their life. And yet there's this calmness with them. There's a peace. Somebody's got a a terminal diagnosis and, hey, uh, wherever God's got for me, I'm good. Somebody just lost everything. Hey, whatever God's got for me, I'm good. A couple of people in recent months have come up to me, I lost my job. I'm sorry to hear that. Hey, it's okay. God's got it. There's peace. There's a calmness there. You could look at their family life and it's a mess, but they're, they're calm. And for so many people, it's like, how in the world that doesn't make any sense? Like, how could you be so at peace, so calm? It doesn't make sense. The point is they already know the peace of God. And the peace of God spills over into your own life. Say it like this, peace with God leads to the peace of God. When you know that you've got the peace of God and that you're at peace with him, that spiritually you're fine. Whatever this world wants to throw at me, spiritually I'm good. I'm fine. When you're at peace with God, that leads to peace with yourselves. And when you're at peace with yourselves, you really start to experience that true peace of God that he has in your life. The problem is I think too often we can't find that peace within ourselves. And why is that? I think maybe we don't allow it. I've known some people, it's like they just enjoy having something to hold on to. Something as a crutch, some kind of a drama thing that they just cannot let go of. And again, I don't want to make light of that because maybe they don't know how, but, but man, I just, for me, I just, this is something I don't want to do. I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want to have to hold on to something because I know myself, sometimes I can become my own worst enemy. And I think that happens with all of us sometimes. And I think when that happens, we have to start to ask ourselves a question. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? Or maybe what do you see? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see the person God created you to be? Or do you see something else? Maybe you look in a mirror and, you know, you, um, you, you see pain. You see a hurt that, that has lingered for a long time. And you see a person that maybe nobody could love. Maybe you look in the mirror and you see somebody who's a failure because you've heard that once in your life and because you're a failure at one point, you're going to be a failure forever. Maybe you look in the mirror, you see rejection. Maybe you look in the mirror and you see somebody who, man, I I just never really been loved. You see in the mirror, get this, what you want to see. 
Here's the problem with looking in a mirror like this. What am I seeing? I'm seeing my own interpretation of my reflection. Some people love to look in a mirror. Some people really do. Because you see, again, what you think you look like. And the problem is when you look in a mirror long enough, you forget to look at yourself how God looks at you. And so instead of looking over here and seeing a failure, seeing somebody who is, is going to let people down, or, or it, you know what, I, I see the guilt, I, I see the things I've done, you quit seeing a child of God. You quit seeing his perfect creation. You quit seeing his masterpiece. You quit seeing somebody he sent his only son to die on the cross for. And you start to buy into and believe that lie. You start to believe who the world tells you that you are. We're struggling with this in our house right now. My oldest is really struggling with perception. She's a sixth grader. That seems like that can be common for this age. But in her mind, she is who she thinks her friends think she is. Not even who her friends think she is or other kids say she is, who she thinks they think that she is. And so every night we're having to remind her, you're not a failure. You're not stupid. You're not a disappointment. We're having to remind her of these things. That's who she's convincing herself that she is. And we have to remind her, no, you're not perfect, but that's okay. None of us are. You're who God made you to be. And God made you to be somebody that he didn't make me to be or anybody else to be. And too often, it's easy to say that's the case of an 11-year-old, but we can all be that way. We can all struggle with that at times. We can all struggle with perception because, of course, we want to look good. We want to sound good. We want to be respected. We want to be admired. We want those things because when you have those things, there's this calmness, there's this peace, at least for a moment in time. We forget, in the grand scheme of things, our peace with ourselves comes from peace with God. And that's what really ultimately matters here. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And then he said something else a little bit later, when he said, I give you peace, not as the world gives you, but peace that I give you. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Too often we're trying to find, God, what do you have to say? Uh, my, my, my life seems like a wreck. My mind's a mess. And we forget that over 250 times in the word of God, the word peace is mentioned. And here's one for you. You want to know what book of the Bible talks about peace the most? It's the book of Job. The book of Job, the story of somebody who had Every imaginable thing that could possibly go wrong with him, go wrong. Every, if there was one person who had legitimate complaint, it was Job. And over and over and over, it talks about Job having peace. Over and over and over. Why? Because he knows God. And at the, his heart of hearts, he has peace with God. And he understands where that peace comes from is that it comes from God. And therefore, he's got peace with himself. When you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God in your life. Philippians 4, it says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I love that phrase. In other words, the peace of God which makes no sense whatsoever. Kind of my translation of that. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And when you've got peace with God and peace with yourself, it leads to the third kind of peace, which is peace with others. Peace with others. 
This is a relational peace. We have a spiritual peace, an internal peace, and ultimately a relational peace. And when we talk about peace in general, this is probably where you, your, your mind goes. Conflict you might have with somebody else, something that you've said about another person or they've said to you, especially this time of the year when you're going to be facing people at some get-together that you have strife with. And let me just tell you, if this is something that you're struggling with right now, peace with others, come back next week. Okay, we'll talk about it here for a moment, but we're really going to dive deeper into this next Sunday and talk about reconciliation and what that means. Because too often, I think this peace with others, we want this to be what, what our life's about. We don't want to be in conflict with others. We don't want to have strife with others. But we forget about the first two and how important they are in the peace with other people. When I do uh, <clears throat> marriage counseling or, or any kind of that with, with a couple, especially a couple that's getting married, first two questions I ask them is, I want you to describe your relationship with God and describe your relationship with yourself. And it may sound kind of silly to ask it that way. Because we talk a lot of times about making sure God's at the forefront. God should be at the forefront. Your relationship with God must come first. But what do you think of yourself? Because a lot of times when you see strife within a couple or even just two friends, sometimes that boils down to something you don't like about your own self. And you take it out on somebody else. So, so how is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with yourself? If those are healthy, then it's much easier to have healthy relationships with others and have peace with others. Because the problem is, if you're missing peace with yourself, you can't extend that outwardly to somebody else. You have to have peace with God and peace internally. But often a broken relationship stems from something broken within yourself. It stems from something. Not always. Maybe it stems from something broken in the other person. But it stems from something broken internally. I think I'd say it like this. When it comes to peace relationally, you can't give what you don't have. Just like if you wanted to come borrow a book from my office, if I don't have it, I can't give it to you. I can't loan it to you or let you have it or take it. It's, it's, we have to possess it in order to give it away. You can say it like this too. You can't give relationally what you don't own internally. You have to have it, experience it, exercise it in order to give it out. If it doesn't, if that peace doesn't exist within your own life, then you can't give it out to others. And again, often our internal strife that we have can spill over and affect relationships with other people. It can cause us to have a negative outlook with others. Again, go back to what we said earlier. We think about peace being this removal of conflict. Take everything that's bad and negative and get rid of it, and then you're going to have peace. But that's not what it is. You want peace in your relationships. It starts with Jesus. It starts with understanding that you belong to him and that he came to bring you life and to bring it to the full. He came to seek and to save the lost. And when he did that, he came so that anybody who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The Greek word we see throughout the New Testament for peace is the word irene. And irene is, is interesting because, again, it doesn't mean the removal of anything. Irene is literally defined as to put back together. I always marvel at people who can restore old cars. I've got a guy my dad used to work for that's a friend, loves to restore them. My, my father-in-law's got a couple in his shop that maybe one of these days he'll get to. Jennifer's uncle likes to do this as well too. 
And when they restore these, these cars, they're, they're not just taking an old shell and putting new stuff in it. They're trying to make it as original as possible. They're trying to put back in their parts from the same year or at least the same model and time frame if they can get them. Because they want it to be restored. That's what takes place in your soul. That's what takes place in your relationship with God. When you ask him into your heart, there is a restoration that is taking place. Your relationship with him is being put back the way it was meant to be put back. And one of these days, one of these days, this heaven and earth is going to be wiped away and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth and it's going to be restored back to the way it was in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Back to that perfect paradise. And guess what? There will be no strife. There will be no hurt. There's no pain or suffering or tears or any of that. And that will be true peace, not because God's just removed it, but because the peace is so strong it can't exist there. You want peace with your relationships, it starts with Jesus. It starts with remembering him in your life. Maybe you've never made that decision in your life, and if you haven't, we'd love to talk with you. We're going to have some of our elders and staff outside these, these doors right over here between services. Grab one of us if you see one of us out there. If you want to talk or have that conversation. If you can't honestly answer the question, when I pray, I know for a fact I'm forgiven, come grab one of us. We would love to have that conversation with you. Because I want, I want you to be able to answer that question with a yes. And I also want you to be able to look yourself in the mirror and see what God sees. Not see this construct of perspectives. Not see this lie that the enemy might tell you. But you look in the mirror and you see what God sees. You see his craftsmanship, as it says in Ephesians 2. You see his masterpiece. You see who he sent his son to die on the cross for. If you can do that, you're on your way to finding peace. Let me ask you one more question, and then we'll close out with that. What is it that you need to change this week in order to experience peace and find peace? Maybe you're there, and if you are, great. But if you're not, and I know some of you aren't, what needs to change? What needs to happen for you to find and experience true peace this holiday season? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your son. <clears throat> We're thankful, Lord, that you sent him to die on the cross for us so that we could experience that peace. We're thankful that you thought so highly of us, no matter what we might think of ourselves or what others think of us or what, what we think of others. You created us loved us, you died for us. And we would remember that. God, anybody today who is struggling with anything, anything that's outweighing the peace they have with you, the joy they have with you, God, that you would wrap your arms around them. You would lead them to the truth. You would let them know you're right there. You don't leave them, you don't forsake them, that you're always going to be there with them. You would help us as a church to come around them too to be there with them, to be there for them, to show them that love. God, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for your son. We're thankful for his sacrifice on the cross for us. We pray this in his name. I was reading through Matthew, and uh, it was a verse that I've read a thousand times before, 
heard sermons on a thousand times before, but for some reason, it just struck me different that day. And so I want to read for you Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. This is the three wise men we're talking about. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I've been hearing that story since I was that tall, so it didn't seem odd to me. And it still didn't seem odd to me till later in life, but as you think about it, a fully grown men, who are men that are respected and very, very well thought of, humbled themselves as they stood before a baby and worshipped him. And I thought, man, if I didn't have context, would that be me? Would I have the humility to bow down before a baby and worship him? And guys, I don't think that the wise men were worshiping the God that was to become, the Jesus that grew up, the one that died on the cross. They were worshiping that baby for who he was right then and there. They knew that they were in the presence of something incredibly powerful, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And so as we enter into this Christmas season and we're, as we're about to take communion, I just want to take that kind of heart that these wise men had to humble myself, to worship Jesus as a baby, because even as a baby, he's greater than I could ever begin to comprehend. Our God is that great. Sometimes I think we have just a little bit of a limited view and understanding of how good and how powerful he actually is. So as we take communion today, can we humble ourselves? Can we say, you know what, no matter how big and macho and smart I am, even in front of baby Jesus, he's more credible than I could ever hope to be. Let's take communion together.